The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned. I'm Trevor Flynn. And I'm Jack Newman, and this week we get drunk and review Men in Black International. How are you this week, Trevor? I'm good. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What are you drinking tonight? Dude, I'm drinking the same shit I always drink. You know what I'm drinking. <laughs> no, I don't. Actually, I, I, I don't you, you, you've changed up on me a little bit since I, college. So. I just drink the whiskey you tell me is good, my friend. I'm drinking Four <laughs> Roses because it's cheap and it's good. You turn me it on is, to it, it and is. I can't get off of it. I made a I made a four roses uh, old fashioned. Uh, I like with bourbon. I like to do myself a little slice of orange in there. I know that's crazy. No, I like to do like a like a twist to orange with like a, you know, crazy. express your own thing. It's an old fashioned. It's it's crazy. It's a crazy amount of effort. Arguably. It's crazy. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> depending on where you're at. But uh, yeah, well, it's been a long day. It's been a long day, and we had to watch this movie. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Men in Black International. Uh, I am a big Men in Black fan. Uh, oh yeah. Where do you Where do you sit on the Men in Black? I mean, as it were, Trevor. I went. I feel like it says a lot that I went to this movie knowing how bad the reviews were because I was so excited when they dropped this trailer, and I was like, oh, they're getting back to the cool shit. They, they yeah. figured it out. It's not like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith is not what makes MIB good. It's all the cool shit and the aliens. And I was really ready for it to be good. And I don't think it is. Uh, unpopular opinion, perhaps. But uh, uh, it does. It does. I mean, you're definite. I feel like the opposite is the unpopular opinion. Yeah, since, I know. I'm you know, crazy. Rotten Tomatoes right now. Tomato meter has it at a 24%, uh, 65% on an audience score. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is unpopular as of now. It also is underperforming massively at the box office. Um, Shaft, as well as doing that this week. This Men in Black International debuted with a disappointing $28.5 million, uh, from 4,224 locations. By comparison, this is the lowest opening in the franchise by over $20 million, as all three of the previous installments opened with over $51 million. Ooh, yeah. The $110 million production joins a slew of recently released sequels to not only underperform based on pre-weekend expectations, but severely underperforming based on previous films in the franchise. Entering the weekend, the film received mostly negative reviews, and opening day audiences gave the film a beast and cinema score, which is hardly a ringing endorsement. The film played to an opening weekend crowd that was 56% male, with 53% of the overall audience coming in age 25 or older. Dude. There was a guy that sat down next to me and my girlfriend and just like, um, you know, not to be prejudiced, was clearly um, some sort of developmentally challenged because not observing Whoa, where social. Are we going with this? Not, well, he was, uh, what I'm trying to say is he was not observing social norms in a very obvious way, but he wasn't a bad person. And right, he just okay. turned to me and was like, dude, how big an MIB fan are you? And I was just like, because I didn't want him to keep talking to me, he said, uh, not really. I don't know. I guess that was disingenuous of me. But uh, I, I feel like no, I No, it's am okay. I, I, a little I, bit, people, you know? people talking to me in a, into a movie theater freaks me out, too, sometimes. Like, yeah, especially that you would sit next to a couple. like right. Ne- I mean, I don't know. I guess if that's where your seat is. But like, who does that? I don't know. I'm overanalyzing now. Well, but, uh, is it, it was it. I mean, it was it like a sorry, I don't really want to get into this. No, offense. <laughs> like, just, I don't want to go down this sorry. path. Like, it was oh, part Trevor. of my experience seeing the movies. Like, you're the only two people in a row. And then like a random guy sits next to you. Like, I was it assigned seat. seats? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to pick your thing. seat. Like he picked that seat. Like I, I don't oh, know. next to the couple. I yeah, get you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So my thing, my thing I'd say now is, uh, oh, by the way, I do want to put out there that was that was Brad Brevet. Yeah, I feel like I recognize I the article you were reading. Yeah, yeah. It's Box Office Mojo, Men in Black, and Shaft Become Latest Summer Sequels to Disappoint by Brad Vevitt, June 16th, 2019. I just want to, I literally just quoted it on mm-hmm. air, so I wanted to read yeah. it out just to uh, make a citation. Uh, yeah, but I think the, the big thing for me is that uh, I was very excited about this movie 
based on the trailer. This movie's got great trailer game and a good it doesn't have a large media push, but everything I've seen from it is actually very that's this fucking sound of a four roses bottle and Yeah, I love you it. can hear that, right? <laughs> I it's, it has a very distinct ring. Um anyways, but the point is is like I thought this I thought this trailer had everything it is. It's bringing in Thor and Valkyrie. They're a good team, they're a good comedic pairing. They've done well before. We're going to combine it with, you know, a couple of cast members throwing a little Liam Neeson. And specifically and the Neeson trailer that like, really got me hyped for this was the Fergie one. Like, I don't know what this says about me, but it was the Fergie one. The first one, right. I think. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's good. It's good. And it's and it's one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, my take on the Men in Black has been that it has all been downhill since Men in Black 1. And that uh, Men in Black 1 is one of my favorite films. It came out in 1997. And uh, this is a little bit of a personal thing to admit on air, but uh, oh at the time I was, uh, I remember I, well, I'm, I'm actually, I don't really talk about this sometimes, but I'm very dyslexic and I was when I was a kid and my dad took me that we realized I had a problem around, you know, around then. And he took me to a summer camp where I did like with other dyslexics and people with uh, like, you know, ADHD and stuff. And I did a summer camp Dude. with them. For like a like a week where I went and they like tried to train me and do like mind's eye stuff and tried to help That's me so that I could like write really my name and stuff. Cool. I didn't know that those existed. Yeah, there's there's a lot. It, it was early days for a lot of dyslexia research, so things were a little bit more like laissez faire back then. There's a lot of more established stuff now and a lot of better techniques. I actually there's actually like newer techniques now than there was then when I was a kid. Huh. And it kind of I like I'll never forget like a lot of teachers back then didn't recognize dyslexia and stuff like that. So yeah. it's kind of a hard thing when I was kind of when I was seven years old and I had you know I had issues. Um, and... I don't talk about this a lot, but the big thing here was that my dad, you know, took me for a week up to this summer camp to do like a lot of intensive training on the stuff. And I was kind of like, I was really upset about it because, you know, I was a seven year old and I wasn't doing so hot. And, uh, we went up there and one of the things is I remember is that, uh, uh, men in black was on the movie was for 14. It was, I think it was like $11 on, we were staying in an embassy suites and it was for $11. You could buy men in black and watch it as a movie. And me and my dad, I loved it so much as a seven year old, me and my dad watched it six times that week with me. Like just in the to theater. Make me feel better. No, in, in, in our, in our like hotel room. Oh, okay. Cause I would, I would go all day to this like camp thing and then we'd get out around like, we get out around like six, seven o'clock and then I'd go home and I, we'd eat something and then I'd watch and I'd be like, I'd be sad and he'd be like, let's watch Men in Black again. And he Aww. would do it and watch it like seven times. So I'll never, I'll never get over like Men in Black. Cause it's like a very me, my dad thing. <laughs> Cause it's Dude. like, yeah, that it was like, it's like a big movie for me, but like literally, legitimately I watched it like seven times with my dad when I was like going through some hard shit and it was like a, it's it's a big deal movie to me and I didn't recognize it that it was good until much later and I went back and reinvestigated because the seven-year-old me just like it was just fucking cool shit you know what I mean like yeah bon- Barry Sonnenfeld directing I think that's his name yeah and yeah, yeah. I, I learned this from Patrick Williams he was the cinematographer working with the Coen brothers that kind of helped them find their yeah like yeah, distinctive look yeah. of their films which when I think of even some of the sequels like even in MIB2 when they go into like the family's living room to find the like weapons cache like the way yeah. it's shot that's like still has a little bit of that mm, like that little like uncanny yeah. kind of framing yeah. that the first one had that's so that it's, you know it's such a it's such a different sort of thing that captures this it has it's, it's one of those things where it's like men in black captures its own sense of style and it just the sense of New York City yes. that like n- the very few other movies capture and just projects it's out the there. It's the neurotic exotic man. Yeah, it's it is it is it is a weird but fun movie. It's also weird to realize that Barry Summerfield. I didn't realize he directed all three, which is just so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't realize he directed all three. It's weird to me too because you can see it's it's one of those things where it's like all three of the films have a very consistent tone and viewpoint. Even if Men in Black Two is is probably like forced through by the studios, is what I suspect because it's like yeah. kind of a crash cash and grab. My biggest problem, I think you were kind of getting to this earlier, was is that like. The problem with any sequel to MIB with the same characters or like the fact that the studio is like, all right, we got to have Tommy Lee Jones again because he's what made that work. Got to bring Tommy Lee Jones back. It's like, 
That is the I don't problem think Tom, to me. I don't think Tommy. I don't think that's the problem. And I think that this movie proves that that's not the problem. All I right, think the yeah. problem. I think the problem is tones and jokes. I, Tommy Lee Jones is a good actor. He's not a problem. I mean, driving the movie based on having Tommy Lee Jones back is a problem. But uh, bringing in new actors isn't necessarily the thing. The thing is like capturing what was good about the original, which is that these characters are playing roles that evolved. Like the problem is that they keep trying to reinvent the flash, the franchise, and the in the sequel to movies to have you know Will Smith again because so I agree that the problem is driven by the characterization of the two characters and the second things because like the first one is a perfect story and it works out I was just so bummed out when the sequel was like we gotta get Tommy Lee Jones's memory back so we can have Tommy Lee Jones and I was like what happened to Elle I fucking loved Elle why did we have to write her off screen maybe it was like a contract thing I don't know but I don't like, think it was a contract. I think it was a we need Tommy Lee Jones to sell this movie. I agree yeah. with you on that. And that's and I agree that that's the big problem with two. I just think that like I think that we've been chasing I see your larger some point. things. Yeah. My my larger point is that just watching the intro to Men in Black 1 and how weird it is to just like have like almost 4 or 5 minutes of a fucking dragonfly flying around with weird titles and everything else like that's how weird that movie is yeah. and it's not captured in the sequels to the same extent. Like they understand the stylistic viewpoint, but they really don't necessarily always understand. I, well that's actually good points. Like even the Light of Zartha when they have the fucking video store and it explains about the light of Zartha. That's a, that's see, it's one of those fucking things. Like it, it, it has, has style, moments it's that style, work, right? Yeah, yeah. All three, all three of the movies are so stylistically consistent and conceptually good, but only the first one is so well written because he definitely marinated on that script a long time before it went to print. You know? Oh, you mean? think? Like it was rewritten think, and rewritten? Or? I, I think the Men in Black script was like a passion pro. I think Men in Black one is a passion project, and the two follow ups have have way less are while good and consistent from the same creative team are less are less uh yeah in the same stylistic elements well, as it's the like previous one. the first one you were adapting the heritage of the comic right and then the any attempt to make a sequel was like just looking at the success of the first one and what about this as a film worked and maybe right. forgot about like right. why the comics were good i don't know yeah, I guess, but the style remains consistent, so I don't want to call them artistically bankrupt, which bringing me to this movie is what the problem is, is that <laughs> this movie is artistically bankrupt by the same by the same thing. And it's taking some of the elements of the previous one and trying to understand them and do the hits, and I think that's the best part is when it is doing the hits. Oh. But the problem is... I disagree. Go ahead, go ahead. I think like right. they're well, I don't know, it depends on what you're talking about. Cause there are like a couple of character beats, like whenever Tessa Thompson sees uh Danny Glover and it's like, oh, that guy's definitely an alien. It's like, oh yeah, remember when we did that in the first movie? And then she like messes something up by touching something. It's like, oh yeah, remember when Will Smith did that in the first movie? And there's even like a little thing that I read where like I I don't know how like substantial this is, because they're like she mentioned maybe considering saying that I make this look good line and being like, let's like limit the nostalgia a little bit thing, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't think the issue is the lack of the is the lack of the actors in this one. I think the issue is that like this is the first MIB movie not made by um, Barry Sunfield and I and there's actually a lot of different cinematographers on each individual film. Um, actually, every film has a different cinematographer, and that's the thing is I I do think that Don Peterman on the original, you know, I think that he was an influence in that movie and even though they share stylistic designs like i think that you know they kind of trend downwards on the overall stylistic effect uh until men in black three being the most out of style of the of the three this one is such like the director directorial touch here is so different that it's trying to establish like essentially like just a universe in which we can just like have hijinks that we can continue um, that it's just not interacting with the core element of it is like, what about, which is just like the fear of secret societies and all those other things. The point is here is that this is about creating a franchise and it's not about going back to the, the flavor of the comics that established it in the first place. And that's, that's the core issue here is that they just want to have a franchise where we all remember how cool MIB is. It's, it's remixing the movies, the concepts of the MIB and the things that they did in the movies, as opposed to what the movies were based on, which is this concept of G-Men. Like G-Men are almost 
are weirdly non-specific in this. Does that mean like the concept of G-men doesn't even seem to like explain? Uh, hold on, real quick for me. Define your terms by like G-men because like I'm getting that that's like a cultural touchstone of some kind that I'm not. Yeah, the G-men is like the men in black, and that's the like you know concept conceptually. It's like this imagines whenever you see like you know shadowy organ like you know yeah. government run organizations. Yeah. That's like the whole thing about it, and it just imagines men in black are these people that are actually like they dress like that on on in purpose to like be mysterious and all yeah, those they, other things. Yeah, they, they evoke the, you know, it's it's like the monologue, the famous fucking monologue. We are right. them. We right. are they. Yeah, right. Right. And it's the difference here is that this movie is playing to the conceptual cultural standard set by the previous Men in Black movies as opposed to what the original Men in Black movie was playing to was the cultural conception of Men in Black and was riffing on that. And there is so, and part of the, and it's, to be clear, the first movie is not a... Like, I, I want to be clear, it's not a thematically over-the-top movie. It is not a statement movie of any kind. But there is a little sub-thematic thing in there of like, oh, yes, we are, like, what is it, Zeke's line to the uh, military guys when they're interviewing Jay? It's like, uh, man, you're everything that we've come to expect from years of government training. You know, like it's, it's right, exactly. there's that little there's that little hint of like, ah, uh, yeah, the, the government. Fuck. Yeah. You know, like the bureaucracy. God damn it. You know, there's a little yeah. hint of that, which uh, I don't know. I um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's kind of lost in this because she's like obsessed with it. And we're like, yeah, the MIB is cool. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, I think I think this thing is it's this is this is this is creation of a movie by design. This is a committee. They're like, we have the access to the men in black property. What's popular Avengers? Let's go steal a couple Avengers. Well, and let's try to make this cool movie. Well, you're getting into the production, which like, did you like see the thing where the director wanted to yeah, walk out you- of this? Yeah, can you briefly talk to that and what the article says? Actually, quote the article. I'm not quote the article, but uh, just cite the article. It's the Hollywood Reporter is, as far as I can tell, like the seminal source of this. Um, Apparently, the director, F. Gary Gray, tried to exit the production at some point because the producer, Walter Parks, who, um, okay, so F. Gary Gray directed Straight Outta Compton. Uh, It's unclear to me if he... I, what I want to feel like is he was more supporting the script as written as having like a bit of an edgier take. Like you can see some stuff in there about like playing up the immigration angle of like, oh yeah, Paris, right. the Eiffel Tower was the first place that we had aliens legally immigrating to Earth as refugees. Kind of, They're really like almost talking, they almost say refugee. I can't remember if they actually do or not. And where it, it kind of makes it sound, this article to me kind of makes it sound like Walter Parks, this guy who... um I mean, and not to play down Spielberg, because Spielberg was an executive producer on the seminal, the original MIB, but who had worked with Spielberg and is more kind of a Spielberg guy, was constantly doing, the producer of the film was constantly doing rewrites. The actor, it even got to the point where the actors, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, the leads, were getting new pages every day, and then subsequently brought on their own dialogue rewriters to then, I guess rewrite the pages that they were getting each day as rewrites to try and like play it up and play on their chemistry more. And it's just like, it's, it's very clear that the, whatever the original conceit of that script was kind of got lost in this. And it kind of, you know, when they play up the Pawnee, like the fun, like the kitty kind of jokes kind of angle is like, it just feels like it gets watered down to the point where the aliens don't even matter that much in this. You know, and like, yeah, if there was like an edgier take there where like they were going to play up, you know, it politically a little bit, which is not necessarily what I need MIB to be. But like, uh, you know, it would be more interesting than this. So, yeah, Yeah. that's kind of what I got from that. Yeah, this is also one of those things where we have to take a look at like the person. This is Paramount Productions. So, uh one of the things that I was interested in is like what properties uh, does does Paramount own? Well, Do you the, know what I mean? That also like, reminds me. Did you see the thing where they were going to originally conceive this as a 21 Jump Street crossover movie? Yes, I did. And then the That's... producer of the 21 Jump Street movies was like, nah, I got to have my first dollar insurance. Otherwise, I won't do it. And they wouldn't give him that. So he wouldn't do the deal. 
which is apparently right, this right. insurance policy where like if the movie bombs he like gets the entire policy like i don't understand insurance necessarily i'm not a financial guy but like uh, my my cursory understanding is the payout that he gets is as much as the policy is worth which i mean would it sounds like a lot of money you know what i mean so well this is one of the things that i think that's interesting too because like paramount is weird because when you look at like the list of like movies that they have like in the things like there are a lot of transformers forrest gump oh Shrek yeah and that Third. reminds me the writer also yeah. wrote uh the iron man script and yes and that's why that's why paramount what first last night the king arthur titan one i didn't see it i don't remember what yeah. the subtitle was so th- this this is what the thing is paramount doesn't and, and people need to stop me if i'm wrong here because paramount has has things like transformers which are in times of transition stuff like shrek and other animated things and indiana jones and they have a lot of good properties but they have they don't have franchise like paramount is the hardest hit by the transition to franchise and it's one of those things where they're i can tell this this feels like them mining the well to try to make a franchise and 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 i bet you that it's it's one of those scary things because god help me there's no way they're not going to go back to the well of some of the things that that isn't their thing to try to make long-running series well that's why we keep getting mission impossibles oh mission impossible yeah well that's paramount uh also i see well, if it it sounds like where you're coming back to is like, oh, so of course they pull Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson from the Marvel MCU to try and right. set up their own franchise. Is kind of and, like, and in a weird sort of way, they you know a crappy older executives interpretation of marvelizing the production. Uh, I don't think that's the principal problem here, though. Like, I can mm. see where that's maybe Please. part of it. it. I don't know. I, I agree with you that it's not the principal. I'm just like, here's the, the thing. The thing. I, this is what the problem. I am more insulted by the stylistic choices of this movie than anything else. I actually think Chris Hemsworth and them are totally things. I just don't think this is a Men in Black movie. You know? Oh, I don't <laughs> like, even. This I is... don't even think their chemistry is that good because you, the the dialogue just feels so like basic, jokey, jokey joke, like jokey, kids jokey, movie, joke. fodder joke, and, and kind that, of back and forth. That is that is where I think that it's a very Avengersy because they're like make jokes. I mean, mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones and like. And that's the difference. Like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones did not really. They had a jokey back and forth bit, but it was but they understated. Had, it was understated and it was character performance driven, and it's also character relationship driven. Yeah, because that, Tommy Lee Jones difference. was deadpan, jaded right. vet, and Jay right. was out to prove himself, not going to be messed around with. Rookie. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it and it worked, and it worked. And that's the thing is that's that's a character performance driven by that's good characterization driven by script. And that's the difference here is that the script totally fails them as characterization. Well, and goes. this is the one thing I wanted to say that I, I've also read is that like quote unquote you don't attract Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson if the script isn't good. Like I really think I I, I really want to blame the producer on this, and I that's right. I don't right, know that much about film production, which is kind of why I wanted to ask you is like how common is it for a producer to intervene and like start rewriting the insanely, script? Insanely common, insanely common. Okay, and and it usually takes it's, it's one of those things where it's like uh, you you hear stories, and, and this is the thing too. I don't like Kevin Smith, but Kevin Smith is always like a very good view into how Hollywood fucking works, and uh, the Marvel. He, mastermind right like, yeah he'll talk about shit yeah, oh, no, yeah. Kevin well, Smith, talk not shit. kevin feige i'm getting confused no no not kevin feige. He'll, he'll, kevin smith will come out and t- he didn't care and he's and he gets he still gets like his small production so he's gotten to the point in his career where he doesn't care that he needs to make good with everybody so he's come out and like made jokes about like his experiences in hollywood and how like he's been on script writing productions because he talked about a little bit about like bruce willis like for die hard uh four i think was die, yeah die hard with a, die hard with a vengeance or something um was like they were making the movie and like you know they were talking about the issue and like he had kevin smith like write script for the scene the warlock scene and the thing and he was like having him write script and sending it back to the producer so bruce willis himself was literally like changing the script on the director doing that shoot and the producers were arguing and and bruce willis was like apparently you know this is what kevin smith said bruce willis i'm just using this as an example i know this is way out of the fucking no, no, way go on, the, the point the point is just to talk about how this happens is like bruce willis was like yeah who do you think's gonna star in die hard four who, who do you got lined up after me <laughs> and, and i was like that was a, that was the whole thing well and it's like 
the yeah. point is, is like sometimes you don't know who the fuck in the production is the big dick swinging guy. Like who is going to actually have the vision for the project <coughs> almost because like, right. yeah, I see what you're saying because there are instances where that happens where like you have an actor that has enough artistic clout that they can make choices and okay. the director artistic clout is not the word to use <laughs> okay sorry am i getting so you, like you are, too you are, you are, no, no. theory no 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 i'm just saying bruce willis does not have artistic clout bruce willis just wants to have a cool scene oh you're right it's, it's it's not artistic clout it's financial clout but like you are correct <laughs> you are correct for instance like in that everybody sometimes they Robert, co- yeah. coincide like and, and my my go-to example right. would be like johnny depp is the reason pirates of the caribbean is good because everything he was doing Michael Eisner was like, you got to get him to fucking tone this down. I don't, I don't fucking like, I can't believe he's done. Which to his credit, Michael Eisner was right. Like Jack Sparrow would have been a much edgier character if he didn't have studio resistance. He would have had like missing teeth and not been like the fucking heartthrob, like Johnny Depp character that people want to see. But like, right. that's, that's the reason that movie works and why it has like five sequels. <laughs> it's because right. he made those choices against the grain of what they wanted that movie right. to be. So I get I get and, what you're saying there, right? And, and that's 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 the thing. It's like you get you it, it like these are creative endeavors, and everybody wants to get their say. Like for instance, think about the fact that like the cool end of Endgame scene with Peter Parker and like the you know spoilers for fucking Endgame, I guess. Uh, the death of Tony Stark on screen. Robert Downey Jr., Kevin Feige, and the Russo brothers, and Spider Man and Gwyneth Paltrow were just the only people that were in the room during that scene. There was no script for it, and they just act it out and just made decisions right there for that that's a that's a lot of people that are so invested in the product of your thing just coming together to make a good product but i am sure there were disagreements but then like apparently tom holland just like started crying and doing the whole thing he was actually like emotional about it so it was it's one of those things where it's like you know you get good things you get bad things it's like but you can tell that like actors have input producers have input yeah but both the positive i just want to note that both the positive examples that we've come up with are actors not producers i don't know like well i, I don't necessarily know that bruce willis is a positive example <laughs> well the one you just mentioned sounds positive i mean so correct i think i think robert downey jr had a big impact on the marvel movies he was in and i think that i think that pretty much by the time the end of the marvel movies he had such clout and money in the franchise itself that like i have no doubt that he affected the arc of his own characterization and i think it was to the betterment of the franchise I think he also, unlike a lot of other actors, listened to Kev- – like him and Kevin Feige remained very tight about how they wanted to do the character in the arc. Obviously, so two they people had a with an artist- yeah. Exactly. It didn't go – like, and I think a lot of the times the bigger issue is what this sounds like, which is that people were like, what the fuck is Gary Gray going to fucking do? We need to roll this back. Can we just get a fucking like Transformers movie out of you, please? Yeah, which is – That's, the, that's, that's what happened. This is a cynical like anti-Hollywood party. I mean, it was like you hired a director that was going to execute a vision and then you got obsessed with making it appeal to every every and anybody at, to the point where it appeals to nobody. And Look, that's dude, what happened. I, 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 I agree that that's like that's that's always like the like the I know that's simplistic. You, sorry. No, it's, it's not simplistic. It's totally correct as to what happened here. I have no doubt that you are totally 100 percent correct. I just don't think that's on average. I think that you have to realize a lot of these studios have a shit ton of directors that are going off the left field yeah. and that a lot of the times we never appreciate studios for rolling back bullshit that just shouldn't happen. Well, like, and that's uh, another thing that I've read is like when you have this conflict between a director and a producer, the studio should step in and assert itself and like make it go one way or the other or like do some peacemaking and that didn't happen on this movie yeah is what a thing i've read which again i don't know enough about production to know how common that is but if producers warring with directors is common and i the studio plays the peacekeeper usually i guess that's part of the reason this and part of the reason i had to go see this is i just did not understand how this could be as badly reviewed as it is like i just i just couldn't comprehend it i was like it can't be that bad it looks so cool and i just and and i'm gonna say there's very few f gary like no offense to f gary gray this is probably the worst film in his repertoire he's got he's he's been pretty well received i mean the fate of the furious is a fast and the furious movie straight out of compton's uh like you know it's a good movie sea of trees he was a producer on law oh, i particularly 
Yeah, That's I know. The Italian job. The negotiators. Uh, holy shit. I actually hadn't thought I about that I haven't seen one. that one, um, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, the Italian job's a good movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That's like everyone's. The Italian job is like everyone's, like, classy. Oh, yes. I like thriller movies. Like,. In, like, I like to watch of... movies with my parents. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I think of it. Sorry, that's a that's the Italian job is totally like a go-to Newman family movie. It that and the Mummy Returns. Like I don't know why. <laughs> well, the Mummy Returns is an ironic take for me, and always will be. But I oh, do love I, it for we, that. We 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 we've quote talked about the that. Mummy Returns. I love you the Mummy it? Returns. Oh, man. Yeah, we quote it as we go. It's always this. This is cursed. Like every every time anyone gets to that scene, he's like, everyone just sits. This is cursed. That is cursed and he's like i don't know i want a good curse like everyone quotes that fucking movie and i and i it's just it's just a weird thing in my family where i'm like what's happening why is this our in our canon of movies we watch too much like i don't get, I get it. it i get it i mean i don't get why it would be i the one thing i don't get is why it's mummy returns over the mummy which is objectively better and probably more quotable unless you're quoted it is it is but it's i think it's because my family doesn't like scary movies and the mummy actually qualifies partially as a scary movie. oh it's like well the mummy, horror there's movie. nothing yeah. scary in yeah. the mummy returns the yeah. mummy returns is ridiculous <laughs> At best, <laughs> like it, it's there's nothing scary in the Mummy Returns. So I mean, man, oh, do you think we should like? I, well, we've talked about like meta level of why this movie failed, but why is this movie actually bad? I don't think we've actually. You were the one. You were the one that was posting up the theory, and I and I think a lot of my objection to this movie. I don't. I don't. I think the plot is serviceable. I think that my objection is con- continuing to be the stylistic descent. Or or escort or escort the you know the escorting of the MIB into franchise Avengers territory or as opposed to the original because I could st- I still enjoy MIB two and three even though they're objectively in my opinion MIB two being the real one that's really objectionable an objectively bad movie but stylistically it has the same style and so I can in my own way enjoy MIB two enjoy MIB three and it's just this is such a departure that I'm just like <laughs> it's not MIB. It's just a bad, it's a bad take on like a constrained Avengers plotline that just doesn't really particularly work for me. Like it's more That's my of take an, on like it's it's more of an action movie, and it doesn't understand why the first one was like understated and like a New York movie kind of. Is that what right, you're saying? Exactly. Like yeah. with the MCU comparison. The MCU comparison is just about the jokiness and the fact that the yeah. characters are driven by jokes as opposed to like being like a character uh, like driven like film and really basically a mystery. I mean, this is essentially a mystery, too, but it's which is like not mystery. a mystery because I swear to God, I want it. I wish I had. I didn't want to be like that obnoxious like guy, but I wanted to like say to my girlfriend, I bet it is Liam Neeson like and it's not, you know, predictability is not always bad. But as soon as they told me his name was High T, I was like, dude, <laughs> you did some bad stuff. Like, don't. Well, don't. like, isn't the cold open weird? Like, you have a cold open for a mist to, like, set up a mystery. And, like, one of those two characters that was there is very clearly amnesiac, like, brain damaged, like, neuralized. And actually, I really liked that, that they have, like, the hypnotic suggestion payoff. Where he keeps repeating the yeah. same phrase. I actually really like that take on the neuralizer. That, but it, like, it, it was good too. Yeah. yeah. But it makes it very clear that like the only other person there, obviously, would be the bad guy. Like you know, like it's just, uh, um, I don't know. Predictability isn't always bad, but the mystery was so central to like what was driving the plot in this. And um, the Marvel, the fact that you keep referencing the MCU brings up like a big comparison for me for this is that like one of the things I keep thinking about and I don't want to get like too, because I know I respect this as a blockbuster and I don't want to get too like analytic over it, but the othering of the aliens, I don't think that the aliens and MIB franchise have always been portrayed as humanistic even or like very sympathetic you know like the character the alien characters and even the first one aren't really developed or anything it's not about the aliens it's about the humans vincent d'onofrio is doing like the best most developed thing and he's the bad guy you know so like i'm not saying that the othering of aliens in mib movies is problematic or anything but this movie it has these bones that are reckoning with that and then 
on the flip side, the way it works is so, the aliens are so disposable. And the epitome yeah. for me for that, and that's that's really the core of what like actually just infuriates me about this one, as opposed to just like the most of my reaction to this, which is just kind of a meh, is that the epitome of it is like in the morgue scene in the first one, when the Archelian prince is like trying to uh, whisper the uh, uh, coordinates of the MacGuffin of that movie with his dying breath. And it's really played really straight, even though you have a little CGI man with big eyes and a little face of a, of a dude that opens up and it's played really straight and the score is there and it's an emotional moment. And in this one, you have the Pawnee guy who's like his entire chessboard community has been massacred. And it's just like, he's immediately like, oh, okay, I'll serve you. Yeah. And it's just really played like for laughs that his people have been massacred. For what reason? I don't know why they even had to die. It's just, it's really, it really hurts me a little bit that it's just that they're that disposable. <laughs> It's not, it's, I don't know that it, I, I, I don't know. I like, I, I, I don't, I don't see the disposableness of illegal aliens, dude. I mean, definitely well, not specifically illegal, but just the alien characters in general is my point. You know, I think aliens has always been a core element of men in black. And I think men in black handles it much better because it does specifically other. I think, I think the difference is that men in black one walks a very fine, good line about othering people. Yeah. It's not about you're like when you encounter an illegal aliens, you have to embrace the fact that they are going to be different than you. You're going to be freaked out by them in some way. That's a natural human reaction, but you need to recognize where they're the same. And that's like a great adventure. Like the, the epitome of that is the birth scene in in men in black one with Reggie when he's trying to leave town. Like he's illegally attempting to leave town. Kay lets him go. And the whole bit is that's like, you know, it's that's good police work on Kay's part because there's nothing wrong him. But then they have this thing with this whole scene where it's played for laughs, you know, where it is kind of funny where she's giving birth and he's just like trying to handle it. And she's a giant squid monster. And then he like gets this, this like uh, this little alien baby. And it is still, it's freaky, but it's still cute in that baby sort of way. And I think that's that's the thing is like that's such a hard scene to pull off because yeah. it's both. And I think yeah. the nice thing about Men in Black is sometimes real life is like that. Men in Black is you know real life can be both. Like it's New when York. You meet in yeah, a, yeah. When you meet you meet meet some weird. You meet a lot of immigrants in New York City, and you're gonna meet some weird people because New York City is just weird on the whole of it. It's a weird place to live, and you know live there long enough, you get like my sister, you get really fucking weird. Like that's, that happens, and you miss like, the stars, and you move yeah. back out of the country because you can't take right, it right, anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly that, no. That's Patrick it, Williams' it's, take on it. That I'm yeah, that's right. exactly. My point is, is that that's a very, very, very fine line where they do other the aliens. And I agree. Maybe it's like a bit where they actually they shouldn't play that final line for jokes. It's paid incredibly self-serious. I think the issue I agree. I think you're, I think they're making jokes at the expense of a movie that was much better and much more in control of its subtext than this movie. I mean, this is and this is my, where I was going with you comparing it to MCU It's like. Again, MCU is a bad choice. The Dark Universe is like a better choice in my mind. Oh, like, like in terms comparison. of franchise incentive, I see that. But what right. I wanted it's, to say my, is Franchise my, incentive is the core element here, and the MCU is the, the inevitable thing we talk about. Well, but MCU is the good version of it. This, this is what I want to say as my like trolling the internet hot take. Captain Marvel is a better MIB movie than this. Exactly. Yeah, that's a hot take. That's a hot take. I like it. I like it. That's a good. That is. That is clickable. Because it does. It 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 reckons with the aliens is like hiding amongst us in this really really poetic like way that's just so satisfactory and it's just it's the best part of that movie and it's it's so clearly what the script in this was at some point about. I don't know. I don't know that there's a character in the script. I mean, in the movie that we got that reflects that the script was really about that. Like, I feel like for it to really be that way, you would need a developed alien character, which Pawnee is like a sidekick, like almost anime familiar sit on your shoulder thing. Oh, why, why, are gonna, like, why, why are you going to shit on anime like I, that? I didn't mean I didn't mean I, It's like, well, you know, like the cute little thing. Like, it's like a little animal. Like, I don't know. I was thinking of like Fairy Gone or something where there's like a cute, or like Nausicaa where she has a little fox squirrel thing. You know, like it's just a little, I don't know. 
That's what he is. He's not a character. He's like a little squirrely, cute thing that sits on your shoulder. Pawnee was really like I, I, I the the, the core of my like disgust with this movie a little bit, <laughs> which is a shame because I like the guy who voices him. Um, What's his name? I'm forgetting. Uh, it's an Indian name. He did the he he had a movie that he wrote and like produced and directed and everything recently. Um, where the girl was in a coma after he met her, uh, Kum- Kumail Nanjiani. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and no offense, he's I like him on the big uh, sick is what uh, I was thinking of. Well, no, I it, it's fine. I'm I he's I'm sorry. He's always gonna be a part of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but the the big the big thing for me is that he's essentially doing a Silicon Valley bit. Like he's being himself there, and it's not really a. And maybe, maybe who played the dog in MIB one? Oh, the pug, um, Frank. Yeah. yeah. Is that a pug? Or is it was a, a pug. Yes, yeah. it is a pug. Um. Yeah, that's totally the like shoes that he's or the paws that he's, <laughs> um, filling there. <laughs> like you're right. There's like precedent for that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, I was just trying to look. I was trying to look for the thing. Anyways, the point is, is that like it's it's like they're doing bits. They're trying to do it. I like like they're funny bits, but at the same time, like I think a lot of the soul has gone out of this, and it's just like and 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 I think this is the thing is like I you very clearly can see F. Gary Gray's probably original intent with this movie, and I i'm just having a hard time seeing where it was going and understanding it dude uh because i don't necessarily know that either i mean there was gonna be a 21 jump street crossover with this and i can't for the life of me picture how the fuck that was gonna work i i don't like either did the cops infiltrate the mib no that kind of takes the mystique out of the mib if the cops know that they're mib did the mib infiltrate the cops why why the fuck would they do that? <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't yeah, really make I, any I, sense I, either that, way. Yeah, that that seems it's weird, and and I think there's enough weirdness in the background of this. Like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm like I'm not gonna hold up F. Gary Gray as like some sort of auteur. I'm just not gonna do that. Oh, that's dude, not necessarily what I'm journey. suggesting. He he got involved in a project, had a good direction, and then this project just fell apart. Which is the basic outline here of what happened is just like you know. A director and a producer fell apart and the actors were in between and the final product doesn't stick together. And it definitely doesn't stick together considering the franchise history that it has to hold up here. And the departure of the original because it had it had big shoes to fill and it doesn't fill them on top of that. So it's just like I don't know what this was ever going to be. And I'm just I'm very skeptical that like we can put a we can just say like if this had happened and this had happened, it would have all worked out like that's that's my take on it, because like either way, neither of those men were going to fix the cinematography issue with me, which is the stylistic text of this, which oh, is the yeah. problem to me. That's that's yeah. my bigger problem here is that no matter what the style would still be the style and the style is probably my biggest issue with this. Like <laughs> there are no shots in this that are on the like kind of undercut kind of no. subversive no. like they, they weird sucked, angle they of the sucked one. all the weird out of it we're, we're we're sexy avengers we're not yeah Tommy jones i not think i finally see what you're saying just thinking about it purely from a cinematography yeah. level there is yeah. nothing no. like there's nothing odd or weird or right which is which is i guess i guess that's the thing the too is me that's the element of it where the weird is tied into the othering of the aliens but in a weird sort of way MIB is about saying that everybody's weird and mm-hmm. it, it it works. It just <laughs> works. And it's one of those things where there's like that 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 very and, and, and as much as it would have shit on MIB two and MIB three, it still works. Like <laughs> they, they've they've captured this 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 formula and bottled it and kept producing it. And now that we just see somebody else's touch on it, it's like, oh, it's all not working. It's like it's like you didn't realize that people were spinning plates in the previous three movies, and now it's all like we're just fucking we got China 
of glass in our face and shit. And I'm just like, ah! <laughs> like that was my experience watching this movie. It's just like, and I was like, I was like, was I too harsh on MIB two? Jesus, like mm-hmm. you know, it's just like it's like the weird video. Like you go to a video store and there's the video owners are weird and they're gonna go to polka because they get neuralized and about buying her dresses and stuff. And Will Smith is really concerned with everybody's life oh, and he's giving God. them life stories for no yeah, reason. And it's I all, just like, remember all, that. There's, there's all this weird shit that happens or like or like the fact that like the alien woman in two like sticks her tongue in the dude in Kay's ear and sucks information out of his brain. For, it is like, a no Victoria's reason. secret model. Right. And then she also like and then, like the other dude like the like Jay's villain is like this dude that's like just like tiny body flying around in a little like UFO and he's got little copies of himself and they have a fight in a hangar bay and Jay can't get out of like tubes for some reason. It, it's so goddamn weird and good and it's just it's just like there's just I don't know man I don't know and it's just like somehow Will Smith's energy just like helps the production as well because it's just he just does his off the wall thing and it just works I don't know man I don't know I you're you're walking me through my emotional response to come c- come over come over here and like watch MIB two with me I again. will watch MIB two I, it's not it's I'm not I'm not I'm not defending MIB two and three they're not good I, I'm, I'm sorry no I understand good. what you're saying they yeah, still yeah. have like a degree of stylistic like distinction yeah, than this you're, still, which is just you're just bland. watching the extended mib universe yeah. which is which is good and a thing and that's my point it's like you know i could it's say mummy returns is a great comparison like they're both like those like the both of the second two are both quotable and fun and dumb and you can watch them over and over again uh I will never watch this again, <laughs> ever, <laughs> for any reason. There's no reason. This, like, you could fucking present me with a copy of this for Christmas, and I'd be like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> like, <it's> like <sighs> yeah. All right, let's score this thing. Get them go home. Let's score this king, Ken. Go home. Sorry, that's a weird Star Wars reference. What? Uh, I don't get it. I'll, mm-hmm. Let's blow this. Oh thing yeah, and go yeah, home. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. It's the Death Star, the first one, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I get it. Took me a minute. Yeah. You're Luke Skywalker. I'm Han Solo. Actually, we should flip that. Let's let's not assign roles. <laughs> that's what's going to neither. That's crossing the line. Us, <laughs> neither of us is either of them. <laughs> it was mostly because you're less clean shaven than I am. <laughs> you have more of a roguish air. Than I mean, I of the two, that. who would not take Harrison Ford? Clearly, like I yeah. I just I don't. God, man, we know where we know where the hair. We know where the the fucking uh, Luke Skywalker thing ends up and it's like you didn't look good <laughs> you maybe had like 10 years of good looking but damn uh, no actually yeah. I like him quite a bit sorry whenever I think right. of Mark Hamill's beard I just picture it being stained with blue milk so yeah I get what you're saying oh I hate that movie so much <laughs> <laughs> it's one, I know that it's like unpopular to hate that movie because it you know there's a lot of trolls out there but god I hate that movie so much <laughs> I hate it so much and I, I, it's one of those things where it's like I wish that Ben had not got so trolled by that movie that like we could talk about it and have a serious discussion or you think about he it. got trolled by it come on that's no not, no no I mean he's fine he's, he's just like done talking about it because he doesn't want to engage and he like I get it too because he wants to accuse me of being a troll about it and I'm like I it's not our argument on that subject is not going to go anywhere good and I get why but like mm-hmm. still I just you know that's the uh but the last Jedi is a toxic movie. <laughs> yeah, it's toxic it's just to everybody in toxic. Okay, all right. Let's 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 go ahead and score uh, this big harumph muffin of a movie. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I'm like re- reevaluating our scale, thinking about it, because it's been a while since I've intentionally seen a movie that I knew had bad reviews. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that I knew had bad reviews that we also reviewed on our channel. You know, I, I, I am, I will say this cinema scores come out early and me and Ben and a couple other people in this cast very aggressively look at the cinema scores and say, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like if, 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 if something comes out with a really aggressive, bad cinema score, even though it's a popular movie, we probably won't do it. Well, so this, cinema this score is a rare situation is uh, a little niche to me that, 
that is a metric supposedly of what a movie is expected to be versus what it is, right? Do I do I have no? It's it's that, a, it's or? essentially an initial audience reaction. Oh, and it's just but it's a broad audience reaction like a go b blah. Like that's before it goes where, wide, before it opens wide, or exactly, like, exactly. Oh, so it's, okay. it's 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 it's. I'm not exactly sure. I could get more into Cinema Score. Ben's the guy you need to talk to about that. Yeah. But Cinema Score is a very good early metric that box office mojo and a lot of us use as like an early say because it's kind of the first thing out the door rotten tomatoes and everything else comes out it takes a while score yeah everybody's exactly it takes a while exactly yeah it's got to be a weekend before rotten tomato sort of stabilizes and everything else um cinema score is done you know what i mean cinema score is done before the movie airs so that's that's why it's usually the thing we talk about first and also a lot of people say that cinema score ties to predictors, but like, you know, you and me are the only people that fucking talk about cinema score for fuck's sake. Like, you know, who the fuck else looks, everyone else looks at Rotten Tomatoes. Well, no I don't actively look it up, but I do know from reading reviews that this got what a B? I think it was a B. It's got a B. It's got a B. And I think, I think that's, it's not that that's generous. That's a correct cinema score and that like, you know, it's, that's an aggressive meh. You know what I mean? Yeah. An aggressive meh. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 I think that's that's where it is. Like for instance, like you know, there's like Avengers Endgame is an A plus. You know, Aladdin is an A. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of what some Aladdin's mm, an A. Well, I don't. I think there's something to be said. A cinema score is not like a deep dive into a movie. Like for instance, Dumbo is an A minus, and Godzilla King of Monsters is a B plus. Yeah, it's just this weird metric. I really am not. I still don't understand it, how it works. It's a it, it's 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 a very limited metric based upon like early reviewed people in like Hollywood specifically. So it's not. I don't actually. Okay, so let me let me read this. <laughs> uh, movies that open in less than fifteen hundred screens are not automatically pulled or reported on the social media or in Cinema Score website. If a film opens in less than fifteen hundred screens, Cinema Score either doesn't pull the film at all, or maybe uh, contracted privately by the studio or producers to conduct a survey. Well, that's just saying so, it only applies to mainstream films. Yeah, Cinema Score is the industry leader in measuring movie appeal among theater audiences since 1978. Cinema Score has been polling moviegoers and major movie releases on opening night to collect demographic information to calculate a distinctive Cinema Score grade. So they are much more of like, kind of like, it, they're the only people that Rotten Tomatoes is like an aggregate score. Cinema Score is a straightforward score. They go to movies. They see the reaction that comes out of things. They're they're really doing like like polling information group. Like how many black people like this movie? How many white people like this movie? How many people like this movie? They're going through and they're making an aggregate score based upon that. And that's and that's 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 where it comes from. And the thing is, I'm going to say is a lot of kids are going to like Aladdin. So that's going to mm. affect the cinema score, and I think that's fair. I think I think the thing I think the thing that I'll say this is that I think cinema score is a very very legit um, way of doing it, even though I often disagree with that. Cinema so score it, is like, usually my starting point. It fragments into demographics. Is that what you're saying? Well, they do demographic research on the outside, so like a lot of movie theaters go and look at cinema score too, and other things about that. Huh. Um, and and a cinema score often affects long term where the movie's showing where it isn't and how long it shows and all this other stuff. Um but for instance like Brightburn had a C plus. Yeah. Right. And Brightburn's actually not a bad movie, but audiences just didn't receive it. Like that's the other thing too. This is this is about audience reception. I see. It's not I it's see. not it's like this is not Ebert talking about it. This is like, you know, the 200 kids that came out of that theater liked Aladdin. So uh, the audience is going to receive it and Aladdin's right. going to do well. Right. You got, you got to understand they're just, they're like, it's like a dude coming out of the theater. It's not like, it's not, they're not pulling Roger Ebert. They're literally pulling like audience score is much more in line with like the audience score on tomato meter. Do you so know what I mean? to say that this got to be on cinema score is relevant because it's a passable script. I mean, it logically progresses. There's kids nothing, might like it. There's nothing wrong. It's cool. Kids might like it. Wider audiences just not like it. But I think that the audience as a whole bears out the fact that there's something empty at the core of it. Yeah. And guys like you and me that are MMB fans and are looking at like what previously came are sitting here scratching our heads like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. So, but I think, I think, I think that. The fact that this didn't get because you got Transformer movies have gotten A's out of the theater. I get that. Right. Like 
like that's the thing. It's like it's not about that. It's about the fact that like I think the audience is bearing out that there is something empty at the core of this movie, and general audiences recognize that. I think that's what the B means. I guess that's where my association with expectations comes in, because if critical evaluation isn't involved in all in a cinema score, it means that it's just about like emotionally, purely at a primal level. Exactly. What did you expect exactly. going into this movie and how satisfied right. and, were you spending that, two hours on it or whatever? Yeah. Like let's 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 sit here and talk about this. You know, John Wick chapter three parabellum versus like No Brightburn. spoilers. Brightburn, I haven't even seen the Brightburn, second one yet. I just Brightburn, got into it. <laughs> Brightburn is a better movie than John Wick Chapter 3, but John Wick Chapter 3 gets an A- minus because everyone went to that movie to see if I could shoot him up, and they goddamn gotta shoot him up. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the point, is like, John Wick delivered on what the audience expectation was, and so John Wick, in my opinion, gets a better cinema score, versus Brightburn is a C+. And that's that's the point, is it's like, audiences didn't understand Brightburn, didn't like it, and, you know, but it's it's also a niche movie to begin with. Um, even though I like the thing. And I think that's the thing is like, that's obviously Brightburn is a better fucking movie than John Wick. But the fact that, you know, cinema expectation and satisfaction, I think satisfaction is audience satisfaction is a good way to look at cinema. Like what is the level of purely genre catharsis that you can get from a really basic thing? (laughs) Like that just feels so cynical to me. Yeah, but it's also how the world works. I know, I, mean, I, know, like, I know, and that's that's like that's like that's like what movies like you know Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Like you have your problems with it, and understand that, but it's definitely like you you're gonna understand that it has a high cinema score. Oh yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. it's like an A minus on cinema well, score, which actually seems low. I don't know. That's a different conversation because fan nerd culture is such a part, of, intrinsic part of that for me. But I don't yeah, know. but I also think I also think that they that they're they're actively attempting not to pull within fan sites, but definitely fan affects this stuff, so yeah. it's hard. Well, I think it's like a three for me. Yeah, I'm gonna be just above you at a four. Yeah, I was. It's I was, passable. I was vacillating between a three and a four. My my issues my issues with this form with this with this thing are purely specific to my general love of Men in Black. I I, I will I will own up to not being objective about this movie. I don't know. I, I think there's a degree to which its plot is, like you said, serviceable, but so it just A leads to B leads to C serviceable, but that that there is no emotional like. <laughs> inertia behind the events as I, they progress I, <laughs> that like here, i think even someone not going into critically read this like i do would be dis- dissatisfied with it like i actively I do not true. recommend it to the degree that i would rate it a three out of ten <laughs> i feel pretty comfortable with that yeah and i, I think this is the thing is like i think you know i'm trying to debate i'm trying to imagine a world the jack from uh the jack that uh you know the jack of the world that there was no men in black. And first off, I think that that Jack wouldn't have graduated high school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably be in a meth den somewhere. Oh, that's dark. Um, don't, yeah, don't I, 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 I don't know. But anyways, the point is, is that like, uh, um, I think that that Jack watching this movie would not hate it. Like, I yeah. think he would think it was empty, but I think the difference is like the audience expectation of Men in Black is the problem, and that and this is like the double edged sword of franchise building. If you go on a franchise build, you got a franchise build, and the problem is if that you don't understand the franchise, you you're going to bite get sh- shit taken at you by the franchise. And I think this is the other element of this Men in Black article saying like, hey, these blockbuster summer sequels are disappointing. I wonder why that is because we're franchise building and because we're going back to the well, not understanding the well, and it's not working. Though I haven't seen shaft so i'm not going to confirm that because i actually look excited i'm kind of excited for shaft and i wanted to see that so (laughs) (sighs) yeah and incredibles 2 did very well and we're going to see how pixar toy story 4 does um to turn the tide to turn the tide of franchises in general you mean i don't know it will uh well yeah, Dark Phoenix did interesting, created a second weekend drop, a massive 76%. So Dark Phoenix, so let me read this. Disney released Fox's Dark Phoenix, created a second weekend dropping a massive 76.6% for an estimated 9 million three-day and a domestic gross that now tops 51 million. This is the second largest uh, 
weekend drop for a film playing in 3,500 theaters and in its second weekend during the 2015 Fifty Shades of Grey 73.9 drop. Additionally, Dark Phoenix earned an estimated $24.2 million in its second weekend of releases internationally, raising the overall overseas cum to $152.2 million for the global hot that now tops $204 million. Um, so it did fine, but it is an aggressive drop. People did not want to see that. It does not word have of mouth. It does not have staying like. Is what you're saying, exactly. Right? Yeah. I think that's. It. I think that's what my point is, and I think that's the thing is like, we we are hitting these things hard, and like Disney is coming in, hitting with Aladdin, hitting with Dark Phoenix, and well, that Dark Phoenix isn't Disney. These things come in, they get their nostalgia bump, but when they're bad, word of mouth does crush them. Yeah, yeah, like people, you know. And I think I think Fifty Shades of Grey is a perfect example. Well done, Brad Brevet. Sorry to keep <laughs> using your article in this. I point. was reading about this movie, and then someone on set anonymously said something like, "Well, it wasn't as bad as a Dark Phoenix situation." <laughs> yeah, that one is just that one was just like the the studio. The problem with that with the reboot is that they made a good film. The guy was really into the film. They built a good film, and then the studio was like, "God damn it, you need to make more of this film, you motherfucker!" And then that's that's where everything went downhill. Is that he just they pushed him so hard to make Days of Future Past that he just didn't want to make it, and it's and that's why we have that movie, and it's not good. <laughs> that's, that's why I really genuinely hate Days of Future Past. I think it's the worst movie, and I've been so done with the X-Men franchise since it. I didn't watch... I, I did watch Apocalypse eventually. I've actually only watched, like, half of it. Cause yeah, that's the actually, X-Men franchise is an example of something I just, like... <laughs> tapped out of like I, I i disagree like i, I disagree with i disagree with hey i look, I, look I, well I, no that's not true i was never really into it to be fair i didn't go I, see like the first two or anything at theaters it was years you like before wolverine do not tell me do not tell me that you didn't like a logan oh why would i tell you that come on i'm the guy that's gonna like love logan and talk about yeah, I like know. <laughs> everything I, i'm my, gonna my quote like is, the nerd writer analysis of logan and what it means yeah. for genre and everything <laughs> Like that's look, gonna be. My I, I don't think we're tapped. I don't think uh, this is my thing. This is my thing. This, I'm gonna say this right now. This, this is my whole superhero take. We are not tapped out of superhero movies. No, we I'm are. We are that. tapped out of superhero me- movies that don't have meaning. If you're gonna use a superhero, give us the meaning. Give us the sacrifice. Give us like give me some tears, and it, it's, it's gonna work. That's why Iron Man works. That's why Avengers work. That's why they're going there because they were they made jokes, but they eventually got to the meaning. Avengers has a lot of meaning. Tony's art sacrifices himself at the end of it. There is a lot of packed in meaning that's just hidden under a layer of jokes, and that's why Avengers works, and that's why Ultron doesn't work, and that's also why fucking Avengers three is so fucking good, and that's why like there are good moments in the DC universe. It's just fucking hidden behind all this like bad boy, bad crap. I don't know. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> I gave myself. I gave up on myself. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I. You're a four, right? Yeah. I'm still four. So we're at three point five total. That I'm pretty. I'm pretty good with that. I can sleep yeah, on that. I'm. I can sleep on that. <laughs> All right. The Movie Gang Podcast gives Men in Black International a three point five out of ten. Holy shit! <laughs> Don't go see it. That's pretty rush. <laughs> For the Movie Gang Podcast, this has been Trevor Flynn. Bye. Make sure to tune into Animania this week as we're going to be reviewing. What are we reviewing? This we're going to be re- taking a look at Robo Hachi, and there was one other show I forget what it is, but eventually we're going to get around to talking about fruits baskets, which is the thing I actually really, 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 really and Boku Ben really want to talk about. Which oh yeah, Boku Ben, yeah, and and Demon Slayer, and oh, there's a lot of stuff that we need to catch up on. Let's go. Yeah. Oh fucking Attack on Titan, Jesus. Oh, I know you're loving it. I can't believe we didn't watch it this season. That was a failure on my part. Uh, like, let's sign off so we can talk about it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. From everyone here at Movie Gang, I've been Jack Newman. Thank you for listening. Head on over to themoviegangpodcast.com. Or, I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> Jesus, guys. Tuscan Shed Media Network or the Tuscan Shed.com to check out all our podcasts, including the Movie Gang Podcast, A Face for Rose, which just finished up, uh, Pen and Paper Pod, lots of other cool shit. Go check it out, seriously. From everyone here at the Tuscan Shed Media Network and the Movie King Podcast one last time. Thank you for listening.